When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reputation. Nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, March 1st, 2022, is reputation. I am here, Coca. We made it. Got off a 10 and a half hour flight, landed two hours and 22 minutes ago, back, showered, didn't shave if you're watching this on YouTube. But we are giving you a show, and I know why you're here. We, we're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. Reputation is the word of the day. And we're talking about Derek Jeter. We're talking about Derek Jeter's reputation as CEO of the Marlins, not reputation as a shortstop, reputation as a businessman. What happened after we recorded a show from some random room in Argentina following or in the middle of a 23-hour flight delay? When the Biggest news broke. There was going to be a deal with MLB. There's not going to be a deal. There could be a deal. Wait a minute. Derek Jeter is gone from the Marlins? Can't be. Phone starts buzzing in 10 different languages. Go on CBS Sports HQ in a, in a nothing personal shirt on the side of a street next to a cafe. Radio shows around the country. But what I've been waiting for is today's nothing personal. You may think that I'm going to talk about Derek's reputation. He did in his statement, but I'm not going to talk about his reputation. He was proud to put his reputation on the line to make our plan a reality, he said. I'm not going to talk about that. I want to go back to the very beginning, back to 2017, when I got a call from one of Derek's advisors named Greg, who said, do not sell this team to anyone but Derek. It started a process that lasted almost a year that ended with Derek Jeter combining with Bruce Sherman to purchase the Miami Marlins from Jeffrey Loria. Bruce Sherman is the general partner of the Marlins. He is the majority owner. He has a group of investors who got together and raised the money in order to buy the team. His partner was Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman were put together. Derek Jeter was not part of Bruce Sherman's group. Bruce Sherman was not a possibility as a majority owner when the sales process first started. Do you remember there was Tag Romney, there was A-Rod, there was Jeb Bush, there was Jorge Mas. There were groups of people, maybe even Carnival. Hmm, maybe even the Dolphins, who knows? But then... A shidduch happened, and Bruce Sherman, everyone's looking up shidduch, Coca. You know what it is. Everyone got together, Bruce Sherman and Derek, and Bruce said, Derek, I want you to run the team. I love you. My 
kids love you. My grandkids love you. You are the most famous shortstop. You are the Yankee of our dreams. You're a world champion. You want to run a team and we want to give you that right. We will partner with you. And Derek said, here's the rules. If I do this, I want to be the general partner. I want to be in complete control and I want to put no money in. Are we clear? Major League Baseball made it clear to me that Derek Jeter did not have 23 votes to become general partner. So I had to tell Derek Jeter he would not be the general partner, that he would simply be the CEO. Not simply, that's a damn good job. Coming right out of retirement. He'd be the CEO, but Bruce Sherman would be the general partner. Derek Jeter then negotiated an employment contract with Bruce Sherman that was a five-year deal for $5 million a year. That's $25 million, Coca. Bruce Sherman put $25 million into the team as part of the purchase and was getting back all $25 million over five years. In addition, he would have 4% of the team. Derek Jeter came in. The day I left, we literally crossed paths. He sat in my office. The first picture of Derek Jeter in my office in Marlins Park has my own hand sanitizer right next to him. Derek Jeter stopped talking to me the moment he let go of me. I wonder whether Bruce Sherman texted Derek when he fired him yesterday. Was it by text message? I wonder whether Derek got the alert from the athletic from Ken Rosenthal that I got that Bruce, that Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter were getting a divorce, that Derek Jeter was out as Marlin CEO. That's how I found out was the text alert. So Derek Jeter comes into the office and he starts with a narrative in 2017 that David Sampson absolutely sucked at his job. I'll say one thing. I did not raise enough revenue. I did not have hot, get enough people in the stands. Attendance was low in Miami. We did not make the playoffs after 2003 when we won the World Series over Jeter's Yankees. We had several seasons over 500. We had Rookies of the Year. We had an MVP in Giancarlo Stanton. We had an outfield that, to die for that you'd think would be great. We got a new ballpark done. We hosted an all-star game, World Baseball Classic, all sorts of interesting things. But we were not able to find a way to engage the community or rally the sponsor community, the corporate sponsors, of which Miami is a terrible market for corporate sponsors. If you think about Miami, the number of corporate sponsors in Miami is de minimis. And the ones who are spearheaded there, like Carnival, that's Arison and the Heat. They're not doing business with the Marlins. You've got Ryder. You've got Burger King. They don't want to do any business because they're franchisees. It's really not that much. I always would talk to people within baseball. Minnesota has way more corporate presence than Miami. Way more. People call Miami the tech hub. If you listen to Corbin on Lebitard, Miami's the tech hub. It's got all sorts of money and new money and old money and crypto money and hedge fund people and people are moving there with COVID, blah, blah, blah. And I always told anyone who would listen, that the problem with Miami is while the market looks so good during the summer, it's not so good because everyone leaves and they're in Miami to be counted as a resident so they don't have to pay state tax. So Derek Jeter has a view of how to run the team and the view was very simple. Everything David did, I will do better. Everything David did, I will do differently. And he did. No ego, 
I'm good with it. People are expecting me to be gloating right now or to have schadenfreude that I'm happy that Jeter was fired. No, I want to explain why Jeter was fired and why I knew from the minute he was hired, he was going to be fired. During the course of the deal to sell him the team, them the team, we had negotiated a new TV deal with what was then Fox, which is now Sinclair or Bally's, or is it just Bally? I think it's Bally's, Coca. And we presented the deal to Jeter and said, do you want us to sign this deal? Jeter said, no, we will do better. Jeter then hired outside consultants, spent millions of dollars and got a TV deal that was worse than what we had presented to him. Derek Jeter got a naming rights deal handed to him by Major League Baseball for Lone Depot Park that was worse than what he expected it to be. The number of season ticket holders at Lone Depot Park is thousands fewer than he expected to be. Now, how do I know what he expected to be? It's called projections. As part of a transaction, the buyer of a team has to submit projections of how they're going to run the team going forward. Derek Jeter and his minions put together projections that showed that once Samson was gone, their revenue was going to skyrocket. And when the revenue would skyrocket, their payroll would go up and their profitability would go up. There were assumptions on number of season ticket holders. We had at the end somewhere around 5,000, if you can believe that low number. And he said it would go to seven, then to 10, then to 12, then to 14. We had about 13 million in corporate sponsorship revenue. He had it going to, I have these projections somewhere, 20 to 25 to 30 to 40. Derek Jeter had a plan, which was to tell everyone in the community that patience was required because they had to turn around a failing franchise. Go Google what his strategy was and it was clear. Don't raise expectations for winning. Don't raise expectations for payroll. Raise expectations for future results because currently it's such a mess because Samson and Loria were the single worst of all time. Put them on the list. So the first year, trade away Stanton, Yelich, Realamuto, and I did not criticize those trades at all because I knew they were coming as part of the projections of where their payroll was going to be under their so-called Project Wolverine. Get it? Jeter, Michigan, Project Wolverine, that was the name of their project. You always name a project when you're buying something. You say project. We had a bunch of different projects with what we did. I'm trying to remember what they were. I can't. It certainly wasn't Badger, though. It could have been Eli, Bulldog. I don't think it was that either. Anyway, so the projections were for an increase in future years. So year one, Jeter spends the time turning it around, getting rid of everyone who I had as part of my organization, getting rid of every part of the ballpark. Remember all the millions of dollars he spent moving the home run sculpture out of center field? Millions of dollars. The millions of dollars he spent in the Dominican Republic, the millions of dollars that he spent redoing the club behind the plate, all of that was meant to erase what we had done with Marlins Park, erase what we had done, took away community initiatives, Start it over, clean slate, I'm in, it's his team. No ego for me, no problem. Sully my reputation, tarnish the legacy, I'm good. Write a few 
sentences in my obituary of how bad I was running a team, one World War Series notwithstanding, selling a team for $500 million more than it's worth. Don't worry about it. Put it in there. But he went public time after time, interview after interview, saying, don't worry, we've got you covered. He gave interviews saying, you have to have patience. I don't have patience, but have patience. Year two starts. Same thing. We're improving our minor league system. That's required. You have to start winning at the bottom and have players grow and then become major leaguers and put them together. We've got great young players selling the dream, except no new season ticket holders. Redo the club behind the plate, no new season ticket holders. Take away the sculpture and add seats in the outfield, no new groups or season ticket holders. Revenue that was projected to increase did not. But you go to year two, go to year three. 2020, you've got a COVID-shortened season. The Marlins make the playoffs at 31-29. and 29. They win the first round series, the wild card series against the Cubs. Derek Jeter says, now's the time. I need everyone in this community to rally around our team because we are a winning team with the young players we have. We can do this. Meanwhile, what you don't know what was going on behind the scenes is Derek Jeter was running the Marlins with an iron fist. He had completely drawn a wall around him. Whatever the opposite of an open door policy is how he ran the team. He had one woman who was his conciliary and he had Gary Denbo. And that was all he would involve. Every decision that was made off and on the field was made by Derek Jeter. Every trade, everything. Mike Hill tried as hard as he could to give Derek advice, tried as hard as he could to help Derek understand what was required to run a team, but Derek knew everything about how to do it, so he thought. 2021 happens, the Marlins lose 95 games, attendance is still bottom of the barrel, and they can't get a new TV deal. And then they finally did, and the new TV deal is lower than what we handed him on a silver platter in 2017. So all of the revenue projections in Project Wolverine had not been hit. The Marlins, yes, Jeff, the Marlins lost money every year, 18, 19, 20, and 21. I'm not talking about 1 million. I'm talking about tens of millions of dollars that was not projected to be lost. When a team loses money and they're ready at their debt capacity, which they were because they had taken on so much debt in acquisition debt because they paid so much for the team. Sorry, Derek. Although Derek didn't really care what the price was because he had such a great deal that whether it was 1-2, 1.0, 700 million or 1.5, as long as he was in control, had his 4%, had his employment contract, what did he care? But he forgot to take into account the possibility that his plan wouldn't work. Because he's Derek Cheater, of course his plan's going to work. Of course he's going to raise more revenue and have a higher payroll and win games and make the playoffs and build a sustained winner and all the things he said that were going to happen. Meanwhile, he wouldn't allow Bruce Sherman any say in anything. Bruce Sherman had no idea what was going on because he had given Derek Cheater the keys and Derek Cheater made it clear that I'm not working with you as an owner. I'm not just the front-facing man I'm the back-facing man. You want to know what's going on with your employees? You ask me. 
Bruce Sherman wants information about his team. Uh Uh-uh. It's got to go through Derek. Bruce Sherman's the owner. When my owner, Jeffrey Loria, wanted something, even if it's bad news, I would have told him in advance. But if he wants a document, if he wants a spreadsheet, if he wants an employment contract of someone, if he wants to know what's going on at the lowest level of the organization, he's the owner. Bruce Sherman is the owner of the Marlins, not Derek Jeter. But Derek Jeter wouldn't allow any of that to happen. And Bruce Sherman started saying, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. Not only am I putting money into this team that I didn't expect to put in, not only are we not winning on the field, but I also am completely being put in the quarter like Jennifer Gray. Bruce Sherman said, no more, baby. I will not be put in this corner. So Bruce Sherman said, that's enough, Derek. We've got to find another way. We need different people running our organization. We need someone who can really run the business. We need someone who can really run the baseball side. So how do you want to do it? And Derek said, I'll tell you how I'm doing it. I'm going to make it very clear that the reason I'm leaving is that you don't want to win. And I will not allow Jeter to have that be the narrative because right now there are scores of players, including my friend Miguel Rojas, who are tweeting about the respect they have for Derek tweeting about the fact that they have great respect for him walking away from the Marlins because their owners don't want to win. Derek is floating things to the media that there was a disagreement over payroll. You're damn right there's a disagreement over payroll because the payroll can't be what you projected it to be because the revenue isn't there and you're not funding the losses. But yet, Derek took the time to make sure it was very clear that the vision for the future of the franchise is different than the one I signed up to lead. Wrong. The vision is exactly the same as the one you signed up to lead. The execution of your vision didn't happen. That's a big difference, Derek, when you're putting together a statement. But then he showed his hand in his statement in a way that nobody picked up on, but you're going to. He said, now's the right time for me to step aside as the new season begins. That's the biggest bunch of horse hockey I've ever heard. And I say that often because I can't imagine that I'd hear more horse hockey and then the sun rises and I get more horse hockey. Do you know what the worst time for a team president to leave? Or a team GM? It's at the beginning of a season. It's really unbelievable. But he's Derek Jeter. One gift basket and you believe everything he says. Bruce Sherman released a statement that was very telling. It was not a love affair with Derek Jeter. It gave no indication that it was Derek Jeter walking away or that it was a mutual parting of ways, which is a funny thing that we all say. Make no mistake about it, Bruce Sherman wanted to get rid of Derek Jeter and got rid of him. And Derek Jeter was never going to be allowed to stay by either Bruce Sherman or Bruce's other investors because he did not perform as CEO of the team. It's that simple. Does this make me a Derek Jeter hater? No. 
Wayne Huizinga had the Marlins in 1997, won a World Series, did the first fire sale in Marlins history. What people don't talk about is he told you during the 1997 season that he was trading away all the players, even if they won the World Series, he was cutting payroll because he couldn't get a new ballpark and there was not enough revenue and he wasn't going to lose money and he's a billionaire. He sells the team to John Henry. For $158.5 million, John Henry buys the team, tries to get a new ballpark, can't, won't build it himself. He's a billionaire. Lost money every year running the Marlins. Sells it to Jeffrey Loria. Jeffrey Loria comes in and says, I'm here for the long run. We got a better chance here than Montreal. Let's get rid of Torborg. Let's bring in McKeon. Let's try to win a World Series, see if that helps. Let's try to get a ballpark, see if that helps. Let's sign a bunch of free agents, see if that helps. Doesn't work. I mean, it worked. We won ring, but after that, it didn't work. Jeffrey then decides to sell. Next man up. Bruce Sherman comes in with Derek Jeter. Everybody's problems are solved. But that didn't work either. So now is it possible that Miami is not a market for baseball? Is it possible that no one can go in there and make the Marlins a success off the field? Is it possible that the revenue needed to compete, not just in the National League East, but in Major League Baseball in general, short of having the front office of the Tampa Bay Rays and the brilliance and luck in that order, 80-20 on the brilliant side, that if you don't have that, you have no chance in Florida? Well, we're going to find out because Bruce Sherman's going to bring in another CEO. He's got a deep bench. That deep bench is not me, folks. I'm not leaving nothing personal. No chance toilet pants. Now, would I take a call from Bruce Sherman? Bruce Sherman wouldn't call me if I were the last man on earth and I had the only cup of water. I wonder if Derek will invite me to the Soho house for drinks now. Just to talk and reminisce about all the tough times in running the Marlins. Hmm. I'm going to get my blazer ready to go there and have some drinks. Not. What about his ownership stake? A lot of talk about that. Saying that Derek Jeter gave up his 4% ownership stake. And then someone said that Derek Jeter's ownership stake of 4% is now worth $45 million. (laughs) If you think Bruce Sherman is giving Derek Jeter $45 million for 4% of the Marlins right now, then I've got the Brooklyn Bridge that I'd like you to buy. NGTH, not going to happen. All of the money that had to be put in to cover the losses come in in the form of capital calls. If you don't put in money as part of that capital call, your ownership percentages get diluted. Now, even if you have a non-dilution provision, which means that you don't get diluted if you don't respond to the capital calls, there is no way that Derek Jeter is going to get all of that money for his 4% of the team. They can't get somebody to pay Derek Jeter $45 million for his 4% of the team to the extent he even has 4% of the team anymore. So what next for Derek Jeter? Well, they released it quickly. Did you see it, Coca? It took five minutes, five minutes for a report. ESPN wants him. Can you imagine Derek Jeter and A-Rod doing a Manning cast on ESPN? You have a better chance of the sun rising in the West. 
Those two will not be combining to be broadcasters together ever. Will Derek Jeter join the media? Maybe. It says here in my mind he takes this year off, tries to figure out what went wrong. Except generally people like Derek will probably say to himself, it was all Bruce, it was all the market, it wasn't me. I've said that too. I say I'm good at what I did. So let me conclude my Derek Jeter Marlins tenure with the following sentence. For those who think that I have schadenfreude, happiness at the misfortune of others, for those who think I wasn't rooting for Derek to succeed because it would make me look better once he failed, for those who think that yesterday would be the greatest day in my life and that I'd be doing victory dances and lap dances and walking in in my best Sunday outfit to say what a jackass Derek is for not running the team better, not being more successful, you had me wrong. My issue with Derek from the beginning is the manner in which he went about things and the manner in which he treated the employees at the Marlins and the manner in which he treated people around him and under him in the way that he thought that everything he touched would turn to gold no matter what without putting in the proper work. The way he felt that no matter what he said or did, there would be no consequences. Well, guess what? Today, there were consequences and you are done as CEO. Exactly as predicted when you started. Exactly as predicted by me throughout the course of your four plus years. Your success off the field and on the field was exactly as predicted. What do you think? Derek Jeter's reputation has been tarnished? Nope. People have a short memory. He'll go back to being the beloved captain the day after tomorrow. And in the meantime, people left in Florida will be left picking up the pieces from an absolutely failed tenure as CEO. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. How are ya? I'm back. I'm awake. I don't know. I didn't sleep on the plane. I just took an overnight red eye. A 10-hour and 23-minute flying time red eye. I'm in the middle of watching F1 the fourth season comes out on March 11th uh, in 10 days. I am at the end of season two, so I will be caught up. It is Oscar time. We reviewed the SAG Awards yesterday. I watched a movie during the trip that I was just on called Parallel Mothers. 
Parallel Mothers starts Penelope Stars for 69. <laughs> Parallel Mothers stars Penelope Cruz, the wife of Javier Bardem, both of whom are nominated for Oscars, Best Actor, Best Actress. This is a movie in Spanish, subtitles, about a concept that seems so ordinary and is done in the most extraordinary way. The concept is that when two mothers meet, they become friends. Is there a secret between the mothers that one of them knows, that both of them know, that none of them know? Is there a secret that once is found out will impact the lives of many? What happens to mothers in a parallel life when they start in one hospital room giving birth to two kids and as they go about their life and can parallel lines ever intersect? Here's the problem with the title of the movie I learned long ago from Mr. Richard Soma, my math teacher, when I wasn't kicked out of class. By definition, parallel lines never intersect, except in this movie. Parallel Mothers. I think you should check it out because she's nominated. All right, time for the MLB lockout update. Today is March 1st. The deadline to delay the season is February 28th, which happens to be yesterday. So the announcement was made yesterday by Major League Baseball that the 2022 season will be delayed because there is no agreement yet. Nope. Didn't quite happen that way. Yesterday I was on the plane. I spent 35 US dollars, not Argentinian pesos, pesos, 35 US dollars to get Wi-Fi on American Airlines. And let me tell you something, it stunk, but I was able to follow all of the back and forth. 11 p.m., Dan Hallam, the negotiator, is walking to the player's side. Six minutes later, he's walking back. Rob Manford gives a quote. We're working on it. No deal. Deal's close. There's movement. No movement. Some movement. The deadline is the deadline. We were told that February 28th was the deadline. The players said, we don't believe you that that was the deadline. Here we are, March 1st. Was February 28th the deadline? Nope. Do you remember what we talked about when you're going to say last, best, and final? You better make it your last, best, and final. If you're going to go public saying a deadline's a deadline, but then you're going to say to the players in the room, hey, if we make enough progress, we can go to March 1st. Then don't put out in public a deadline's a deadline. The reason why you need a deadline to get an agreement is, I told you, there is no agreement of any kind anywhere without a deadline. Has to be four weeks of spring training? Yep. But if a deal is done today and spring training camps open on March 3rd, and you've got 27 days of spring training, which is about four weeks, you could still have opening day on March 31st. So could there be a deal today? MLB decided at 2.27 a.m. last night that they were done negotiating for the day. And they announced a new deadline of 5 p.m. today. If you're the players, what do you say to that? Do you say, hey, if it's a 5 p.m. deadline, why can't it be 6 p.m.? What about 9 p.m.? We're so close. I mean, we're right there. We're only a couple schmick-schmacks away from getting an agreement on the minimum and on CBT 
and on a few things I want to talk about. How about 8 p.m.? What if we go back and forth at 2 a.m., but then we have a deal? You're not going to cancel games, which would be a quote-unquote disastrous outcome over six hours, are you? Here's the problem. By giving a deadline and then giving up the deadline and having no consequence to giving up the deadline and then making another deadline, which you say there will be consequences after this deadline, you've lost all the credibility. But there was major movement yesterday, exciting movement that nothing personal listeners, and if you follow me on Twitter, David P. Sampson, you knew what was going on this whole time. You knew all that talk about all those extra players getting into arbitration we told you was never going to happen. Remember the whole story of the 22% of players with more than two years and fewer than three years right now get arbitration? 22%, the the players with the highest service time in their class, the top 22% in service time, and the players wanted 100% and the owners said 22%. We're not negotiating. It's 22%. Hard stop. It's a non-factor. And the player said, how about 90%? And the owner said, we're not negotiating. The player said, we gave. Two days ago, the player said, how about 33%? Then they leaked to the media what great, magnanimous people they were for giving up that much. And the owner said, that's not a give at all. Then yesterday, the player said, all right, how about 22%? And the owner said, great, but that's still not a give. But the owner said, how about this? How about we raise the minimum? We'll go to 675 grand. Give us a 14-team playoff. The players said, no, we only want a 12-team playoff. We touched on it yesterday. My frustration level is huge on this issue because the reason why the players do not want a 14-team playoff is they believe that teams will not try to win. If you don't put enough emphasis on a division winner, then why not just squeeze in, sneak into the playoffs as a wild card? Well, as an 18-year veteran of running a team that never won a division, had to win a World Series by being a wild card, I want to win a division. It's good for marketing. It's good for sales. It's also good for playoff positioning. It's good for home field advantage. And in the proposal by the owners, division winners would get an even bigger advantage in these expanded playoffs. But the players said, no, only 12 teams. And the owner said, all right, we'll stick at 12. The owners moved on the luxury tax threshold. The owners moved on the pre-arbitration pool. That's the amount of money that's going to go to players not eligible for arbitration that last year was zero. The owners offered $5 million. The players wanted $100 million. The owners offered $10 million. The players wanted $110 million. The owners offered 15. The players said, how about 115? Not exactly how negotiation works, right? Well, guess what? There will be a pre-arbitration pool and it will end up somewhere in the 30 to $40 million range. And the owners will be more than happy to have that pool available to a limited number of players who have not yet achieved arbitration, either through Super 2 status, top 22%, or the regular way, be in the league for three years. So what happened yesterday that made the owners willing to move the deadline back is that the three major areas of negotiation, which were the CBT, which were the amount in the pool and which were the minimums, 
Those were being negotiated by the players and the owners. There was no talk of revenue sharing because the owners said we're not negotiating that. There was no talk of Super 2 arbitration eligibility increases because the owners were not negotiating that. So now we're negotiating. So the reason why there was so much back and forth and why the media kept reporting these meetings are lasting four minutes or six minutes or three minutes, it's because you walk over to the other side and you say, if we do X, will you do Y? Or you say, we will only do X if you do Y, go talk to your people. There's no reason for these long multiple hour sessions because the bulk of the collective bargaining agreement has already been agreed to. Now what they're doing, which is exactly what we told you the process would be, is they have now narrowed it to a small number of issues that they will plug into an existing document. Meanwhile, people in the union and in the commissioner's office have already written a summary of what the CBA is going to say. That summary will be sent to players and owners, and there will be ratification of a deal once it's agreed to, and that ratification will happen quickly. Ratification is when you get 23 out of 30 owners to say yes, and when you get 601 players out of 1,200 to say yes. There is communication going on with players, with owners. I enjoyed watching everybody yesterday talk about playing in Japan, Bryce Harper put on Instagram. How about the Tokyo Giants? We had Zach Britton saying, it's not accurate that we're close. No owners have talked. Lots of players. And the irony of the players saying what they're saying is they think that it has an impact in the negotiating room. When everybody in that negotiating room at Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter, Florida is aware that there cannot be a delay to the season, there cannot be missed games because the appetite in the public is zero. Players know that they are not going to get love. Owners know they're not going to get love. Despite what you may read from some hardline labor people on Twitter, the fact is that the majority of fans don't want to hear about lockouts. They don't want to hear about strikes. They don't care about whether the minimum is 675 grand or 700 grand because it's 10 times more than they make anyway. They don't want to care about when you're eligible to make $5 million instead of $600,000 by being eligible for arbitration. They don't care about that. So if you're not going to win in the court of public opinion and you're not going to get any sort of benefit by not agreeing to something now, then why would you keep fighting? The players learned yesterday for the first time that all of the progress they wanted to make in one fell swoop in this collective bargaining negotiation was not going to happen. The owners learned yesterday that the victory they had in the last two collective bargaining agreements where they could walk all over the players, where whatever they wanted they were getting without a fight, that that wasn't happening. The mutual epiphany, as I call it, happened as they approached the deadline when they looked in the whites of each other's eyes and said, uh-oh, let's caucus. 
You read all the time about the caucuses that were happening. Caucuses are when people from each side talk to just themselves. Now, it is a veritable plethora of confirmation bias where you sit in a room with people, it's called preaching to the choir, where you're talking about how disappointed you are that we're not getting X, we're not getting Y. And then you convince yourselves that no matter what you do or say or what position you take, you're not going to get X or Y. And then you decide how do we best give it up. Coca wanted me to remind you of something that I talked about early on. And it has not been written about, but I do want to remind you. Do you remember when I told you that as part of the collective bargaining room in 2016, not only do they take care of all sorts of the big issues, but they also have smaller issues that are dealt with for international play, for who's got to show up to all-star games, for whether or not there's going to be a pitch clock, things like that. The other thing that happens is that all grievances that are pending are settled by the new collective bargaining agreement. Do you remember the huge grievance that's going on over the 60-game season? Well, we're not reading about that anywhere. But my prediction, when this collective bargaining agreement is announced, that grievance goes away. What about the grievance against the Marlins and the Pirates and the Rays? I got accused of this every year. There were grievances against us every year. Do you remember the year? Go back and Google this. I don't remember what year it was. We had to sign Josh Johnson to a contract because we were accused of not spending our revenue sharing and having a payroll that was too low. And so we agreed to sign Josh, who was unbelievable. One of the best pitchers in franchise history. Too bad he had 49 Tommy John surgeries. He was the opening day pitcher at Marlins Park against the Cardinals. Strike one to Rafael for Cal. And then that game went downhill. But there's another grievance that the Jeter-led Marlins, the formerly Jeter-led Marlins, the A's, the Pirates, that they did not in any way spend their revenue sharing proceeds properly. Well, that grievance too will disappear. Any other grievance about service time manipulation will disappear. Any pending grievance about anything, there will be a fresh start when this new collective bargaining agreement is signed. So... When are we talking? Now? Well, I gave you a wait to see yesterday that said there will be a delay. And I haven't lost that yet, but I do predict that a deal will be done today. It's not done yet. Meetings are going to start around 11 a.m. whenever you're listening to this. I guess it could be close to 11 a.m. when you're listening to this. By the time you listen to this, we may have a deal, in which case that'll be the lead for tomorrow because we'll be here again live. But I'm going to give you an updated one to wait to see. Can I give a wait to see that's both sides? If I gave a wait to see that there's a delay and today I give a wait to see that opening day will be on March 31st, that's not nice, is it? I can't do that, Coca. We should, we should edit that out, right? I cannot. It, that's not fair, right? Because then by definition, one of them has to be right. Here it is. Wait to see. The 5 p.m. deadline today, March 1st, 2022, as harsh as this sounds, it's an actual deadline. Pay attention, players out there. 
MLB and Rob Manford are too smart to keep pushing off deadlines knowing their credibility will be lost. It's bad enough they move the deadline to 5 p.m. today. If there is no agreement in principle by 5 p.m. today, there will be games lost. So get the deal done. So the official wait to see is the deadline will not be pushed past 5 p.m. today, which was the deadline that was pushed past the deadline of February 28th. And the wait to see about a delay is still open, Coca. It's still open. Nothing personal pick of the day. The Heat covered last night. All favorites covered in the NBA. I had the Heat over the Bulls, but I forgot to say it on the show. And that's a rule. I was, I was in Argentina. I wasn't thinking straight. I was thinking about Messi. But that was the pick of the day. I forgot to say it, so I don't get credit. We're still 23 and 18. The NBA season is well on its way, post-All-Star break. Can we just take one minute to smile about LeBron James and the unbelievable MVP-type season he's having? And the fact that he was supposed to have a big three around him and he's got a big one around him and they're fighting for their playoff lives because they absolutely stink? I take no pleasure in LeBron James stinking or the Lakers stinking. LeBron James doesn't stink. He's unbelievable. I just can't believe the Lakers are that bad. Wait a minute. Yes, I can. I told you Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony will never, ever have any jewelry on their fingers other than either a wedding ring, a pinky ring, or an I got it on eBay ring. The Warriors don't seem to cover too often, do they? They just lost to Luka, my guy. How about that John Morant? Do you think the New Orleans Pelicans want John Morant? All right, I digress. We're taking the Warriors. Okay? They're getting a point on the road against Cat and the other Wolves. Warriors plus one over the Wolves. And I end today with an update from yesterday because I want to remind everyone that there's a lot still going on in the world, having nothing to do with sports, having nothing to do with lockouts or baseball, not even having anything to do with football or whether or not Aaron Rodgers will be a Packer. We talked yesterday about the war going on in Ukraine. We talked about how Putin has had a much harder time than he expected. We talked about the sanctions that are going to work and they are working. I'm not quite sure how Putin gets out of this because that's what I've been really thinking about is when you back yourself into a corner, what do you do? If you're an infant or a narcissist, you fight your way out. It's hard to just admit you're wrong and then back away. But the update is on the sports pitch where Russia is going to be booted from the World Cup. FIFA announced that not just games won't be in Russia, the entire team. No thank you. You will not be participating. It doesn't sound like a big deal, right? It's just sports. Here's why it's a big deal. Because for Putin... The reason why he has all of his athletes dope in the Olympics, the reason why he takes such an interest in the World Cup is for whatever reason he believes there's a correlation between success on the pitch or success on the ice or success on the court has something to do with the success of your dictatorship. I personally have not found the correlation, 
But in any case, Putin's not going to be happy about that. Will that make him change his foreign policy as it relates to Ukraine? Because Russia's booted from the World Cup? Nope. But it is worth noting. We will be back again tomorrow. I promise you that. There will be baseball news. There will be other news off the field. I did not even get to Kyler Murray today, and I will tomorrow. Coco, you've got to let me get to Kyler Murray. I've never seen a statement like what his agent released yesterday. It was like war and peace, but I got through it, and I want to talk about why it was done and whether or not as an organization it actually matters when a player calls you out like that in a statement. We will talk about it tomorrow, I assure you. But for now, I appreciate that you were here. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.